This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to Death by Southwest. You are now listening to part two of the David Heisler story. And thanks to a wonderful suggestion from one of our listeners, we have put a sense of place at the beginning of part two as well. So the episode will start off with a little bit of trivia. And then when that's done, we will jump into part two of the episode. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. (coughs) Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Um, But a big part of this story, as I said in kind of a little teaser, is that there wasn't a lot of physical evidence. So the, in order, a lot of, throughout this case, man, I'm having trouble getting words out of my mouth today. Throughout this case, police and investigators used a lot of digital data and digital information to try and figure out everything about this case. I don't want to say like too much. I mean, what do you mean? Okay. But what do you mean digital data? Or maybe well, that's the part you don't want to say, and that's fine. No, I I have some some questions regarding oh. kind of, you know, your digital footprint. So what is a digital footprint in your opinion or in your mind? Oh, boy. <laughs> it is, um, like, everything I've done with my electronics. So who I've called, websites I've visited, numbers I've contacted... Um, maybe uh, apps, I'm not sure, social media, uh, digital footprint. Um, yeah. 
that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, it's, okay. It's, so the, the tech terms computer dictionary describes a digital footprint as a t- trail of data you create while using the internet. It Websites, emails, information you submit to online services. Mm. Um, and this, I mean, I just think this is really interesting. And I, I didn't know a lot of these specifics that we're about to talk about. I think in this day and age, it's kind of important stuff to know. Um, I mean, and not maybe just, everyone knows it except for us. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Okay, well, I want to hear what you're going to say. So first. there are two types of digital footprints, passive and active. Uh, you have any guesses on what either or both of those mean? Passive or active is probably like when you actively first person type in www dot mm-hmm. something something mm-hmm. those type of things yeah or post me i'm yep. not sure if social yep. post it. publishing media. a post or a tweet or a photo passive passive let me say it again passive <laughs> um so part of me thought like is that when i comment on other people's social media or is that when um i go to so i'm I'm doing the active, right? Mm -hmm. I type in a website and then I'm there and I'm looking at this and then I click on this and it brings me to that. I don't know. What's passive? You're kind of getting there. Passive is something that you, that kind of goes out on the internet unintentionally. So it's like the cookies in your browser or your IP address or IP addresses, you know, stuff like that, that like kind of what you were just saying, you go to here and then you click on this and Mm -hmm. you click on this and I don't fully understand what cookies are, but you know that your your browser collects them. And and especially if it's like, I just want to see this dang website. Mm-hmm. Sure, except all. Right. That's yeah. on every website now. Also, have you ever pressed no thank you or I don't accept any? You can still look at the website yes, most I have, times. I have pressed that on some of them. The When I don't press that is when it says accept all or there's no option to just no, I reject it. The option Choose. is... Would you like to personalize your cookie? And it's like, no, I don't. I just want to look at the shoes on this right. website or something. Right. Um, so where is your digital footprint stored? And for right. how long? I want to say in the cloud, but not everyone has the cloud. So uh, uh, I mean, it's probably stored. Well, depending forever is what I want to say always accessible by someone of like the highest Mm -hmm. IT person Mm -hmm. can always access who you've called what you've texted but there's also laws and regulations Mm -hmm. I don't know okay (laughs) Uh, so if you think of the internet kind of like wet cement and once you step in wet cement your footprint is pretty much there forever and same with the internet. Once you put something out there, it's there forever. And it's stored in various forms, but it's pre- pretty much there forever because it's actually easier to store data than to delete it for, for the internet, which again, I, I don't like, there's not like some man sitting there deleting people's data or like uh, accepting it. So I know that's not actually it, but it's just easier to keep data out there than to delete it and I don't fully understand that well Um, and I think that means like whatever entity has the capacity like sure I can delete my emails and then go into delete it and delete them again that's not deleting them from my footprint it is not I can go in and delete my text messages and then go in and delete delete Mm -hmm. the delete the deleted forever doesn't matter no it does not 
Does so, not. and I've heard that like similar phrase of like what you put on the internet is there forever, which I believed. It, but it's it is true. It is true. And I think a lot of times people say that in terms of like, don't, you know, I hear this in the context of a parent saying to a child, don't post or send scantily clad photos or, you know, things that you don't want people to see 10 years from now. And that's true. Realistically, you can delete photos. Yes, it it is in the internet forever, but maybe people aren't going to see it. They're, well, you know, unless you're going... Unless you murder into, somebody or go into a, tri- a trial or something or like that. Or go into the FBI, CIA. True, true. Presidency. Absolutely. Uh, become a celebrity. Political. Yep. And I'm not saying everything of celebrities are found from two decades ago, yeah. but something like that. Like, yep, people dig. And, and who, you never know where life's going to take you. That's totally I true. I mean, at this point, life's taking Probably me where I am. I'm I not going to be a celebrity or FBI hey, agent. you never know. Sure. And then if I'm a celebrity celebrity from death by southwest well whoops you'll see what i <laughs> done um this actually kind of explained cook i read this and it explained cookies to me a little bit i just couldn't formulate it on my own i have to actually read it from this these notes um so a, a passive digital footprint like is created in the form of cookies i said that before and servers use cookies to personalize web pages for you so if you search for formal shoes for an upcoming interview the next thing you will see are ads for shoes on Facebook, on web pages you browse, etc. So cookies kind of gather information about your preferences and and send that out to marketers. That's why when I search on Amazon for dog food and then I, or vice versa mm-hmm. or whatever, I go to one website for yep. dog food and then I go on Amazon, it'll pop up. Now I have a question that you may not have an answer for and I'll put on the lookup list ever had the experience of talking about something Always. talking talking and then you open instagram frequently that's frequently. that's not cookies i know that no but that's like are they listening they are yeah. and i don't have any information on that but they definitely are okay um so who can follow your digital footprint i think we kind of already covered that it's not just your friends or your classmates but potential employers government school authorities hackers you know um it can be pulled up by people who know how to pull it up, basically. Right, which I think, even if whoever they are pulling it up is doing it outside of the realm of what's, like, quote-unquote legal, more and more people are becoming tech-savvy. I mean, obviously. Absolutely. But, of like, course. that's kind of, you know, that's... Also, there are companies that people can pay. Oh, yeah. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. When you really dig into it, it gets um, scary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then some of these questions we kind of covered. So how do you manage your digital footprint? Clear cookies. Say no thank you or preference my cookies. True, true. This, I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways. This, um, this website that I found a lot of this information on, which is braingainmag.com. Uh, has some different tips and tricks for keeping your digital footprint clean and well managed. Clearing um, your history is that one of them? Clearing your history, clear, clearing your cache in your mm-hmm. internet browser that that helps. Um, obviously, being careful about what you put out in the first place. Um, ensure you check your privacy settings, especially on social media. I have an idea for a bonus. Yes. 
this is just we'll have to kind of suss it out but bad like quote unquote bad things that have happened to people based on their internet <gasps> footprint that's a good you know what even That'd if it's not, interesting i'm sure there is a murder one but even if sure. it's not just like like bad. the consequences of just of, mm-hmm. you know you put stuff out there and not even necessarily bad stuff no just shoes and flights and right this and well i've also been thinking about how i told you okay always when you're looking for flights clear your history i'm sure i could go even a step deeper if mm-hmm. i understood this but yeah, yeah. that's it that's interesting. It's true even though we're talking about it, i still have like a very like childlike mm-hmm. understanding of all of this uh but i think that would be interesting to do an episode or to do an episode where we dig a bonus maybe where we really dig into the digital footprint and things that have happened for, uh, from people's digital footprint or what they've put out there and then also if anyone knows of a story that i mean there's tons of think about it i mean if you even go as basic as saying like um dating websites or 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 chat rooms kids 23 and me totally like that's Mm. all oh that is all part of your digital footprint we will never do that and that sucks because 23 and me would be a great sponsor but we will not be doing it no thank you no thank you all right that's that's what i got and now we're going to jump into... Good night and good luck. <laughs> yeah, bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that wraps up our sense of place for part two. And now we are going to move back into the episode. And just to kind of recap where we left off last week... The police were heading out to the Arizona Strip where those two GPS pings from David's car last pinged. And they headed out there and kind of came up empty-handed. They didn't really find anything. And that is where we will pick up the episode. Enjoy. So they went out to the Strip and stuff and they were, you know, where the GPS location was and there was nothing. Mm. And then... On July 1st, police received a call that a car matching David's car's description had been seen at Beaver Dam, Arizona. So they headed there to see if it was David's car since they kind of came up empty-handed at the at the Arizona Strip. And it was David's car. And as they walked around the car peering in the windows, they were disappointed to see that no one was inside. They were hoping that maybe David would be there, which seems weird to me because if he was inside the car, this is July 1st. I was just going to ask what time of year again? Yeah, Yeah. July. Like he would be not alive. Right. (laughs) So, um, but they, you know, they thought maybe he would have been sleeping in there, like he ran away or something. You know, I'm not sure exactly what they were thinking, but I do, I did see an interview where one of the detectives was like, you know, as we came up to the car, we were hoping that he would be in or around it at mm. least. But they still had one more place to check after looking through the windows. Check for him. Check for David. Uh, where? The trunk. The trunk. And one of the policemen that I saw interviewed was, he was like, my heart was pounding. I just knew he was going to be in the trunk. I knew we were going to open the trunk and David was going to be in the trunk. I could feel it. Could he smell it? They didn't smell anything, and that's because David mm. was not in the trunk. Oh. Yeah. You really built that up like it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. He was not. He th- Well, the, when I was watching uh, this interview, the police officer was was just so determined, not determined, but so sure that David was. And what he was, you know, he said, I, f- I felt such immense relief because 
and this is an interesting side note to me, these few police officers and investigators seem to get very um, invested in looking for David. And I, and I hate to say that they're not invested in every person that they're looking for, but we've done cases where the police really seem to be not only not helpful, but to be like bumbling things up. And Or they just, well, at times it seems like, and I understand this is a part of the motivation for investigators, police, whatever, but to close the case, to find the, right. the murder, murderer or the murdered person. Right. So they can say we did it. Right. And this sounds like he felt like he was going to find David and he was scared. Like he was worried. Right. Yes. Because he cared. Yes. it does. I, I got that from both of the, and I'll have to, I didn't write down their names, but the two, I will have to find them and, and, and include them in something because I was, they both seemed very invested and they, they even said that they said, you know, we, they heard from David's stepmom, Debbie, almost every day. Um, and they, for whatever reason, maybe they get very invested in every case they do. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But they happen to be very emotionally invested in this. So they were, yeah, relieved when David wasn't in the trunk. Um, and this kind of gave them hope that, okay, maybe he's still alive somewhere. Yeah. Are they treating this still just like a, a missing person? At, at this point, a missing person, I mean... Which doesn't rule out the fact that he could be dead. Right. And I, th- I think a missing person, possibly an abduction, though, because of the blood that they found. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then when they searched inside the car, they discovered a 9 millimeter shell casing behind the driver's seat. Um, and this shell casing kind of just added to, you know, the blood that they found, the wallet that David left behind. Police are, at this point sure that some type of foul play is involved. Uh, Two days later on July 3rd, David's family and friends organized a search in southern Utah and on the Arizona Strip. Um, And also right around this time, Mariah now is asking questions of Debbie and Ken. Like, you know, she's six and a half Mm -hmm. at this point. She's like, where's dad? Like, where's my dad? And Debbie and Ken didn't know what to do. They weren't sure how to handle this, obviously. I mean, how do you handle that do you tell her the truth do you know. lie to her you know so they decided which I thought was admirable they decided to tell her the truth and mm-hmm. they sat her down and they were honest and and Debbie when she explains it she, you know it's through she's crying and she says you know we sat her down and we said you know your dad we we don't we don't know exactly where he is he's he's missing but we have a lot of people looking for him and we hope that we're gonna find him mm-hmm. and I I like the fact that they didn't say we're going to find him. It's going to be okay. Because who knows? Right. I also, I imagine that once the police found the nine millimeter shell, Mm -hmm. they asked David's dad or whomever, like, did he own a gun? Does anyone in the home own a gun? I would imagine. I didn't find. I mean, it's not. Obviously, if there was some big thing there, you would have found something about it. Right. I, I, I don't know. I want to say that they assumed that they believed that it was um, from whoever kidnapped or abducted right. David. Right, right, right. Uh, but there was nothing. I didn't find anything explicit about them, like asking Ken, do, yeah. did you have guns? Did David have guns? Um, so at this point, police are now looking into the social media accounts of Kelly because, as we know, if you don't really have a suspect, the first person to look at is the spouse spouse or ex or, mm. you know. 
and they found a lot of public posts about her custody battle with David and how difficult it was and how strongly she felt about David not having custody and not having the option to raise Mariah. She called him a monster and lots of other kind of defamatory names on social media. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And Debbie was also active on social media, but kind of in the opposite way. She was posting about David being missing and trying Mm -hmm. to find him and getting the word out. And something very interesting started happening pretty much right off the bat. Debbie started getting messages from Kelly's friends, several from several different friends saying that they thought Kelly could have something to do with this. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean... Wow. Yeah. Friends. And and, and I use friends, maybe ex-friends. Or, or maybe acquaintances, acqu- right. co-workers. Exactly. Maybe people who... Like mommy friends. Sure. Um, but people who were well acquainted with Kelly were reaching out to Debbie after seeing all of her posts. And, and I'm guessing they also knew David, these people. Yeah. Um, and, and said, you know, in various ways, we believe that Kelly's involved. Wow. And since Debbie was pretty much in contact with the police officer's Every single day, multiple times a day, checking in what had they had found anything new, sending them any messages or comments or anything that she had gotten on any of her social media. She sent she was sending them all of these many, many messages. Apparently, there was a lot of messages, period. And then there was a good handful of messages from people that knew the couple. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And so police started kind of sorting through these messages and they were growing suspicious of Kelly because several messages very clearly stated that, you know, I have reason to believe that Kelly and her roommate and Frank, her boyfriend, Frank, were involved. Um, You know, lots of different ways of saying that. But police, even though this kind of, you know, peaked something, something in their brain like okay we've are they're already a little suspicious well right right and this is just kind of adding to that but they also didn't want to just you know jump to conclusions and take the word of these 
random people on social mm-hmm. media um, because it could have been just gossip, just conjecture. Sure. It could have just, it could have been pure lies, honestly. Could have been just people's opinions. Right. So police were approaching the messages with caution until one message in particular caught their eye. And it said, quote, they got him while he was playing video games. Oh. And this was pretty damning for police because that, remember. Yep. The video game was just paused. Right. And that information was never made public. Oh. Never made public. So that never went out to the press or anything that 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 he had a paused video game in his bedroom when they looked in the bedroom. Wow. Never. And I wonder, and you may n- may tell me, or you may not know, but the person that sent this message, they got him while he was doing a video game. Uh, it Just w- someone random? Some- it was someone that knew Kelly and David, but it was not um, Kelly or Frank. It was, okay. no- it was neither of them. Okay. Um, but that comment, it-, it was enough for police to think that they needed a warrant for Kelly's phone. And so they were working on getting this warrant. And while they were doing that, Kelly was at the 5th Judicial District Courthouse seeking temporary guardianship for Mariah in David's absence. Uh, so taking them, taking Mariah from David's, Trying to. Right, trying yeah. to, yeah. And police uh, got word of this, that she was there. So they went to the court and presented her while she was, you know, they wanted to present her with this warrant somewhere where she's not going to like run away or not open the door or whatever. Right. Um, she was uh, not happy to hand over <laughs> her phone, but she did. And police were uh, confident at this point that whatever they found on the phone would help them determine either if she was involved in his disappearance or if she was actually just a worried, you know, ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. like she's, you know, playing the part of, um, and so they immediately took the phone to Utah Tech, uh, which has a computer forensic team, and asked them to put a rush on it and get get going on this phone immediately. Lieutenant Studley asked me if I could put a rush on the case. There was a missing person that they really wanted to find. We felt the urgency. We did move that case up and work on it immediately. Digital forensics is man versus machine. Modern cell phone is by default encrypted. Once you put that password in, it encrypts to that password. And so your data is saved in a way that is scrambled. We did what we called the brute force attack so that I can bypass the passcode altogether. We were able to get into the phone to do a logical extraction going to grab all that text messages and get as much user data that we could. I can tell there were things deleted out of the database and off that device. There's a hole in time where we're not seeing activity where we should be seeing activity. Can they, can they, um, find find the hole in time or fill the hole, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm going to tell you. Okay. So th- she, she gave that report at this point that that was like the initial extraction. That's the basic extraction, I guess, of the data, whatever she called it, a brute force extraction. Mm-hmm. So she gave the report to police 
and police were able to see that exactly what she said. Kelly had deleted a lot of things off of her phone, specifically text messages, which confirmed what they suspected, that she was hiding something. So they brought her in for questioning. Which, to me, I mean, sure, I, my brain's going to, oh, she might have done it. Also, I think it's pretty common to have things that you want to delete on your phone. Sure. Um, and also, when they came and served her the, what was it, a warrant? or um, For her cell phone. Yeah, for her mm-hmm. cell phone. Yeah. She had no warning, so even if there was more stuff she wanted to delete, she didn't get a chance, I imagine. Right. Yeah, yeah okay. she had no warning, but if she's uh, if she did have anything to do with this, or if she had had anything to do with this, and she's a, um intelligent person, right. you would hope that she deleted most as it things goes. as it was yeah. going, as soon as, like, the police, because they came to her house, you know, right. one or two days prior to this. Um, but we'll see. Mm. So they brought her in for questioning, and she's, you know crying uh, and one of the police officers said it, it, it was not real crying we could tell it was fake crying but she she started off by saying all I want is to hug my little girl and tell her it's going to be okay and the police told her okay well in order for that to happen we have to eliminate you as a suspect and that's why we have you here and so they began asking her about Frank her roommate who actually was also apparently she was in some type of romantic relationship with mm-hmm. um, and police were asking her how often do you and Frank text And she said, every day. And police said, well, that's concerning because we looked in your phone and it looks like there hasn't been a text for about a week Mm. with Frank. Actually, he saved in her phone as Frankie. And so as the interview went on, police got the inherent sense that she was being dishonest and seemed to be withholding information, uh, whether it was about her involvement or whether she knew where he was, they just felt very strongly that she was withholding something. I wonder what, and it doesn't matter, but I just wonder what her response was to, well, that's odd because there's this chunk of time where you don't text at all. I wonder if I have that. I I do have part of the interview. Um, I don't think that she... I don't think that they show how she responds. And to maybe it. she doesn't. I think that she actually, I'll have to go back and look, but I want to say that she doesn't say anything. She just kind of like nods. Right. She's just listening She's just to like the, the kind of report they're giving her. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but at, but as they're, as they're going through and she's listening and a little bit teary eyed and so on, they are now, as it goes on, you can hear them kind of growing impatient with mm-hmm her lack of saying things and with her, you know, kind of crocodile tears and um, and her lack of forthcomingness, really. Whether you help us figure out what really happened or whether we find out by having to go through people's phones. We'll figure it out. We'll do it. It's going to come out. Were you at his house Monday morning? No. Did you tell Frank that Dave's alone? I don't think I ever told him that, like... This isn't a time for this. Isn't a time this is the time to be sure. No, do I you don't understand what's at stake here? Do I you do understand? understand. There's do. someone's life that's probably been taken. So we're toying with in our head. I have either you had something to do with it and have knowledge of it, or this rogue, crazy boyfriend of yours went and did it on his own. Either way, you know what happened, Kelly. You do. She started realizing that we're not believing her. What happened, Kelly? 
Where is where David? I don't know. <laughs> they didn't tell you where he was. Okay. Where did, where did... I don't know where he took him. You don't know where Frank took him? What happened at the house? They knocked on the door and Frank pushed me out of the way. They had like a scuffle and he went to their car and Frank made him get in the back seat and he told David that if he didn't cooperate, he was gonna kill both of us. And then he pulled over and made me get out of the car. It's, well, one, I it was funny quote unquote yeah when one of them one of the police officers says where's the tissues right at the same time someone says the <laughs> other one says da- where's david yeah. also um <laughs> it reminds me of like things we've seen or heard or you've told me about where mm-hmm. they keep people in there and invent or like question them for hours and hours i don't know how long that was but like she, i don't think it, it was that felt long. like she gave it up quickly yeah she it does feel like it does feel like she gave it up quickly um but i i think they i think they do a good job and she realizes what am i going to do like i better spin this now because they know i'm involved one way or the other so i better spin it so that i was also a victim i also sure which maybe, maybe they, she was well and also maybe they do know she's involved i also think a lot of times these police or investigators understandably so Say we know that this and oh, sure. this, and they're they don't actually to. know it. Totally, and they're allowed to. Right. And that's why I'm very confused. I guess I'm not confused because I think this happens all the time, but I, I cannot emphasize it enough. Anyone who's ever in that situation, whether you're involved or not, you say nothing except for lawyer, lawyer. I want yeah. a lawyer, and you say nothing else. Yeah. And she is saying she's there by herself. She's saying, you know, plenty, and then. And then when they say that to her, of course she's going to, in her head, be like, okay, do they actually know, you know, I think that a lot of people don't know that police are allowed to lie to you in that situation and that you do not have to answer a single thing. Right. She's not arrested. She's not apprehended. Exactly. So, you know, we saw her break down crying and um, she says that she was scared of Frank and scared of losing Mariah. And that's why she didn't come to them sooner and tell her that she knew more than she was saying she did. Uh, and she, so we saw that she admits that she knows, you know, that Frank took David, but she doesn't know where. And she says that her and Frank went to David's house early that morning, like around, the, you know, 4 a.m. Did the camera pick it up? It. I don't, that's a good question. It was, uh. so the way that they, that's a really good question. The way that it was explained is that David's house was on a cul-de-sac. And when you come out of the cul-de-sac, you can go in one of two directions in the neighborhood. And so they only picks up like a certain. And it was one house on Mm -hmm. over here that had the camera footage that luckily picked up David's car leaving. But they could have come in from another direction. So unsure. Um, But. She says that her and Frank went to David's house. She knocked on the door. And when David answered, Frank pushed her out of the way. Frank and David had a like fight, had a fight, a scuffle, she called it. Um, and then Frank made David get in the back seat of his car and Kelly got in the front seat. And, you know, as Kelly's saying this, she's like fake. You can just tell it's a fake cry. She's um, putting it on. She's really putting it on. And uh, according to Kelly, uh, they began driving and Frank told David that if he didn't cooperate, that Frank would kill both of Kelly and David. Wow. 
And then Frank pulled over and made Kelly get out of the car and drove off with David. That's Kelly's story. So now police, obviously, whether that's a completely accurate story or not, police are like, well, we got to find Frank. And Frank was actually pretty well known in the community. Um, he was a known drug user. He was a known drug seller. And he was known to have many, many run-ins with the law. Uh, so maybe not well known for all his accolades. No. <laughs> no, no, no. He was known, uh, known around town, apparently, as being not a, not a great guy. Remember, it's kind of a small place, Santa Clara. Mm-hmm. Um, so police go to Frank's home and they handcuff him right off the bat, and he's fighting it. Finger, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Look to his, my finger, man. Sorry, sir. I will. I'll take it off. I'm sorry. Um, and but they put him in the police car, bring him down to the station. You drove him across the state line into the Arizona Strip, Mount Trumbull area, right? Yeah. What happened then? About a mile. Did you have a gun with you? No. I did not put a bullet in him. I'm not that cruel. You drove down that Arizona Strip road, right? Yeah. And how far did you go? Maybe 15, 20 miles. You're going to find him. If they don't find him, you're going to find a pillowcase and a rope. Um, so he owns up to the fact that he corroborates uh, her Kelly's story up until, well, she only knew till she got out of the car. And he right. says he pushed David or got David out of the car, put him under a tree and lo- turned around and left. Yeah, yeah that he left him um, in the Arizona Strip where, right. da- where David's GPS dinged for the last time, right around there. It's also interesting. I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. Uh, it's interesting that so he had no they said he like had no emotion when he was talking to the investigators yeah Mm -hmm. which to me could mean well maybe that was the true story and he has no emotion for this guy because now he's dating this guy's ex-wife he probably doesn't in his mind like this guy so it's could be that Mm -hmm. or it could just be you know he's got like you know he's like a a murderer yeah a murderer (laughs) yeah it could be either of those things yeah i just Um, explained (laughs) <laughs> something that didn't need to be explained uh but he does he he says he tells police that he left david under a tree and there is not a lot of trees out there off of this road so there ha- there was kind of like one lone tree about 15 to 20 miles down that um road in the arizona strip where the gps dinged and um he said if you don't find david there then that means he probably got away uh but you should look for a pillowcase or some rope because there was a pillowcase over his head and they had him tied up. So police head back out to the Arizona Strip following Frank's directions and they find that lone tree about 15 miles up the road just like Frank said. And they find a pair of sunglasses and a rope hanging from the branches of the tree. Not like a noose or anything, just like it was... Like whoever, he took it off and popped it up there. Um, But there was no sign of David. So even though Frank fessed up to this and Kelly, you know, fessed up to it first, Frank corroborated it, they, they still wanted more evidence because the rope, the sunglasses and, and them saying this, they still don't have any like sign of David and they, 
they need more evidence to link Kelly to this crime and prove that she was involved actively, not just a victim. Because at this point, they don't believe her story that like Frank She was just gonna, got pulled along. Right, that it was Frank and she just got roped into mm. it. No pun intended. Right, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so police go back to the computer forensic team and they asked if the team could do something called a chip off extraction, which I had no idea what that meant. But it involves actually taking the phone apart and extracting the data directly from the memory chip. So you have to desolder the memory chip from the circuitry. And I watched her, I watched this forensic woman do that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, it requires a lot of precision and skill. You have to do it under a microscope and you're using like a heat pen basically to melt the glue, get the chip off. And, mm. and if you make a mistake, you risk losing all of Everything, the data yeah. permanently. Like wow. there's nothing you can get back. Interesting. So police knew that this was a big risk, but they're also, they also knew that the, they needed to see those deleted text messages. And I guess I think they've gotten everything they can get off of it at this point. Right. So if it fucks up, like then they're then, in the same okay. place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, luckily for police, it, it was a success Mm -hmm. and they were, she was able to do that extraction and they were able to see all of the data that Kelly had deleted. Oh, I'm scared. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. So one of the things that they first looked at was her search history, you know, because she had cleared her search history on on Safari or whatever she Mm -hmm. was looking at. And one of the things that she had most recently searched for was how to gain custody of your child after the sole custodian has gone missing. Mm. But I believe she looked for that. I believe what was damning about that is that she searched for that before he was missing. Yeah, the date or Mm -hmm. date time, yeah. And... So according to police, there was a mountain of evidence on in her deleted data. She was a, an avid texter. She would text Tammy and Frank even when all three of them were inside the house. Like they were all in their own rooms and she's texting them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most damning texts that she had deleted were between Kelly and Frank. Mm. Discussing, they literally said to each other, what's, what's the plan? Do we have a plan? And... Uh, Then they discussed the plan that Tammy would drive them to David's house. Frank would jump out once David opened the door for Mm. Kelly. They would assault him, kidnap him, bind him in zip ties, and put him in the trunk of the car. No speak of kill him. No speaking of killing him, no. Just kidnapping him. And, And after they got him, the plan was they would split up. They would drop Kelly off. It was going to be at a gas station, but there were too many cameras, so they decided the airport exit, um, and they were, but it gets a little bit foggy there for me in the story, but they were going to split up and then reconvene to go gambling at a casino in nearby Nevada. Oh. Yeah. It it also, was that a weird noise? Oh, okay. It also tracks in terms of just like, let's split up. Kelly's all, I got dropped off. Right. I got pushed out. Yeah. Yeah. But what doesn't, you know, she said that David was in the back seat. Right. No. Oh. He was in the trunk. Right. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. They put okay. him in the trunk. Yeah. So there were a few things that were different um, that all, police already know now she's obviously involved. 
she wasn't a, a you know innocent bystander no um so police after they saw that like this is the plan they were like all right well let's just like put this let's put all the evidence together they have the car leaving David's house so they asked the casinos they looked at they went to several several different casinos and asked for video surveillance and on one of the casinos they see Kelly and Tammy entering the casino a little bit later Frank comes in this is around 7 30 that morning mm-hmm. a little bit later Frank comes in and then Tammy and Kelly exit an hour later and then Frank exits with a freshly shaved head so he look he now looks differently than before do you think he was doing it just to look different or so he didn't drop hairs DNA hairs uh, po- the police believe that he did this because he just did something terribly wrong and he wants to change his appearance. Okay. Because oh, yeah, because he did the terribly r- right. right. Yeah, yeah okay. it's already done. Uh. So at this point, um, police felt that they had enough. And so they arrested Kelly and Frank on charges of aggravated kidnapping, aggravated burglary, and vehicle theft. I don't want to jump ahead, but I got an ahead question. Okay. Why? Why did they do it? Why? Why? That is a head question. Yeah. (laughs) So on August 18th, David's body was found. Uh, A geologist with the Arizona Bureau of Land Management uh, came across his decomposed remains along a dirt road in the Mount Trumbull area of the Arizona Strip. Um, It was so decomposed that they weren't entirely sure it was David at first but they were able to confirm that. Um, How long had it been at this point? A few months, a couple months? No, uh, he went missing June. Um, June, and this is August. End of June, and this is, yeah, near the end of August. Okay, a couple months. Yeah, June 27th is yeah. when he went missing. So the geologist discovered the body between 3.30 and 4, uh, and after a little after 5 p.m., the Mojave County Sheriff's Office came took the body. The body was discovered about four miles from where Frank said he left him, four miles from that tree. Officials uh, believed that he, he died probably around June 30th, so he had been dead for a while. He, he died only several days after he had been out there. So this is interesting. Maybe they didn't mean to kill him, just scare him? Perhaps. And then I wonder, and I know you'll get here, but like, does that mean it's second degree? Is there a third degree? Mur- like they didn't, in- if it's proven. Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, police, you know, this was, de- police were devastated hearing the police officers that were so invested in this case. They were really hoping to find him alive. And so obviously David's family was distraught over this and police were very upset, but it did allow them to move forward with homicide charges at this point now that they had a body. So police f- before I get to what actually happened to Tammy, Kelly, and Frank, um, you know, in the beginning I said that this case would be very heavily built uh, around digital data, and police fully attribute their solving of this case, of, of figuring out kind of what happened entirely to the data that they took from Kelly's phone. Uh, one of the police officers said that without that, they would probably still be trying to figure it out. Um, and with the digital information from Kelly's phone and what Frank and Kelly both told them, they were able to kind of put together this, this storyline of exactly what happened because Kelly had told some, some falsities. Frank didn't share the whole thing, but they were now with the body 
with the data, they were able to put it together. And so what they believe how it all went down is that Kelly convinced Frank and Tammy to help her kidnap David so that she could move forward trying to get custody of Mariah. Mm -hmm. And so they conspired to kidnap him, although there was no real talk of killing him. You know, what did we what did they think was going to happen with where they left him? In the middle of summer. So they um, apparently when they entered his home, they could tell from his body that they didn't have a little scuffle. Frank beat the living shit out of David and then put a pillowcase over his head. And so that fine misting of blood that was in the kitchen, that came from he was bleeding so much that when the pillowcase went over, it kind of like, Mm -hmm. you know, put some like Like wicked a little away. Exactly. And so that was the fine misting blood pattern in the kitchen. And by the time they got him from the kitchen to the garage, the pillowcase was so saturated in blood that it was dripping out of, you know, off of the pillowcase onto the ground, which accounts for those droplets in the garage. Well, and also that right there, forget about if it's summer or not, right. you're going to put him somewhere beaten like that. Yeah, very badly beaten. And so they... It's going to bleed out. They put him um, in the trunk and drove and, and started driving out to the Arizona Strip. Uh, Frank made Kelly and Tammy apparently drop them off at the casino or the airport exit, and then they got to the casino, something like that, while Frank, by himself, took David out to the Arizona Strip and left him there alive. He said he cut one of the zip ties so that David could potentially get free once Frank drove away. But Frank left him 40 miles from any civilization with no food, no water, and no shoes. And badly beaten. Right, so like dead, essentially. right. Also, it'd be weird in a way, like, David knows who you guys are. Right. So, like, if you were trying to help him, like, just fuck him up and then, like, hope he survives, do you hope he survives? Of course not. Like, I don't get that. Right. I think that even though none of them came out and and said it at this point. They all knew what was happening. Right. They're, 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 They're inadvertently killing him. The plan was to kill him, but none of them, I guess, wanted to actually Do the kill thing. him. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, but Kelly did tell investigators that that the goal was to simply scare him into letting her have her daughter back, but then things got out of hand, which to me is just absolute bullshit because it's not like you went to the house to scare him and, and Frank ended up beating him a little too much. That's things getting out of hand. Right. You drove him out to, to 40 miles from any source of food, water, or, or help for his injuries. That didn't get out of hand. That was the plan. Yep. That was your plan. Yep. Your plan was out of hand from the beginning. Right. Um, and the bullet casing in the car, they, the later nine found millimeter. Out, mm-hmm, they later found out that it matched a gun that was later recovered in Kelly's bedroom. Uh, after they had a search warrant after all of this for that house. Mm. Um, but they, David's body was so badly decomposed, they couldn't fully determine the cause of death. They didn't find any bullet holes. So mm. they do believe that it was, um, you know, dehydration, the elements. Death uh, in the desert. Death in de- Exactly. Um, and so after, uh, apparently, 
it took three years for this case to really come to a close. There was court appearances. They scheduled trials. They canceled trials. They because the police were like, "You have no. You all need to plead guilty. Like, what? what we're going to go to trial for what? You did it. You admitted to it. But you know, initially they were not going to plead guilty. It was a long legal thing, um, and and took years. But at, when all was said and done. Kelly was sentenced to serve 35 years in prison for the role she played in the death of David. Um, During her sentencing hearing, she requested to serve her time in a woman's facility close to Cheyenne, Wyoming, in order to help facilitate family visitation. I guess her family lives up in Wyoming. And maybe they took Mariah? No. Oh, okay. No. Got it. Um, And the judge did grant that request. You'd think she'd want to be close to see her kid. You would, but um, Mariah, who was nine years old by now, she um, she wrote a letter that she wanted that Debbie was going to read in court, yeah. so that Mariah could hear it. And the judge, she wrote a letter to the judge actually, but she wanted <clears throat> uh, her mom to hear it as well. Mm. And in the letter, she started by introducing herself as a third grade student. She said, "I like, I loved playing with slime, and I loved spending time with my dad." And this is a quote from the letter. She said, I am mad at mommy because she killed my daddy. My daddy was the best. If I could be the judge, I would say to mommy, you have to go to jail and die in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She uh, recounted her emotions um, of, you know, that there was when she her grandparents explained what happened. There was blood in the house. Um, she I mean, it sounds like a very smart girl that she expressed all of this uh, in the letter. She said. Mom and her friends left dad in the desert with no water and no food. I think he was probably calling out to us, wondering why we couldn't help him. Mm. After being too hot, he died, and I know he didn't want to. Sometimes I feel like it might be my fault because mom hurt and kidnapped dad because she couldn't have me. And then she said, but this is what I think moms should be like. Moms should be nice and loving and pay attention to their kids. They're supposed to kiss owies and say you're great and good and amazing. My mom didn't do these things. Instead, she had bad guys and they did drugs in front of me. She yelled at me and told me I was bad. And she took my dad and fought with him and called them bad names and then killed him. And at the end of her letter, she said, she didn't even call her mom at this point. At the end of the letter, she said, I would like you to tell Kelly that Mariah, she's speaking some in the third person now because she's telling the judge. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, I would like you to tell Kelly that Mariah hates you for life and if she ever sees your face, she will run away and never come back. What she did to my dad is not okay. It was so wrong. Please help us stay safe and we will be the safest when she is in jail. Love, Mariah. (laughs) Love, Mariah. (laughs) Also, wow. Wow. And now I understand why she's not, you know, yes wanting to be or not not wanting but not near that her daughter right also and this means nothing but i have to imagine that grandparents helped her write that letter a little I bit would assume. but still like i mean still an impressive whatever like wow that's heavy it's ha- i mean an impressive ability to whether they helped pen it or give her words that she wasn't sure but, sure you know that emotion came from yeah her, and that's yeah for impressive. sure um so frank and tammy also took plea deals uh, Frank was sentenced to 75 years in prison um, for his involvement. And uh, Tammy was sentenced to one to 15 years um, for, you know, because she admitted to driving the car and she, she had information, even though she wasn't 
terribly involved. She ended up serving three years and she's out on parole now. Okay. Um, and Debbie, uh, David's mom, did address the court and, and said, our son did not have a chance to reach a plea deal with anyone. It's incomprehensible that Frank, Tammy, and Kelly get off with pleas of any kind. Where's David's justice? David's sentence was permanent and ours is as well. Mm. So obviously she's not happy with... I mean, I'm sure she's happy that they all that uh, Kelly and Frank are in prison for a very long time. But I'm assuming she would want to see Kelly in prison for life. Yeah, and happy is a weird word. I get yeah. what you mean. Like, yeah. she, it's like good that they got convicted. Also, right. uh, yes, those are very descriptive noises I made. Yes. Wow. Um, huh. Yeah, and there there is one piece of information I'm hesitant to share because I don't know I don't have any additional information on it but perhaps we we can do that on the lookup list I did find one article that said in addition to the charges they received this was in Washington County Utah they were also indicted by an Arizona grand jury in April 2017 on murder and kidnapping charges because they you know he was found in Arizona and um, truthfully I, I feel like that's that would have been a little much for this episode so Maybe we can look into that for the lookup. Um, Got it. And that is that is the story of David Heisler. And mm. I would be curious to know um, how his daughter is doing now. Hopefully, well, it seems like Debbie and Ken are very great grandparents who will be raising her. But yeah, um, hmm. yeah, sad, sad story that that uh, all for <laughs> custody, a custody and, battle. You know, maybe that's what they said. It. I mean, it probably was, and this is going to be judgmental, but it sounds like they were also fucking stupid. Yeah. Like, not even, I'm like, oh, they didn't pull off the murder perfectly or the whatever. Right. They just, like, you could have really maybe just, like, done something else, and he might have given, leaned in a little bit to, I mean, maybe not, but still, like, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, but... Uh, now you'll never see your kid. Ever again. Right. I mean, that's Unless exactly. she chooses to come see you like, in prison. leaving him out in the middle of the desert or even going to his house and beating him. You think that's going to make him then... Be, well, he's already been given full custody. So you think now he's going to go to the judge and be like, oh, you know, she had her boyfriend beat the shit out of me. I want her to see... Right. I want her... part. No, come on. Yeah, just absolutely ridiculous and very, very sad that, that, uh, that now Mariah has no parents. Yeah. I mean just so sad um and that is but that is that is our story for the day thank you jane for the suggestion this was a very interesting one everybody uh get on top of your digital data wow yeah there's gonna be some stuff in there in the lookup yeah for sure and um thank you for listening please leave us a review on apple um join our patreon follow us on all socials and and if you have any questions look up questions on digital footprint or otherwise i guess yeah give them yeah please send them our way and uh thank you for listening good night and good luck bye guys bye bye death by southwest is hosted by jenna schneider and margot carmichael executive produced by margot carmichael produced by jenna schneider audio editing and sound design by margot carmichael Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck.